0: So if we're saying something like social distancing, individuals maybe feel a little bit more down that that's what they have to do versus a physical distancing. And maybe then that will open them up to be more creative of how they can still be social and interact with each other um, when we use that terminology.
1: Welcome to Beyond the Bench, the podcast where we delve into stories of scientists and their work. I'm your host, Agnes Varghese, a developmental psychology PhD candidate at the University of California, Riverside. And today, co-hosting with me is the lovely
2: Madison Sankovitz, an entomology PhD candidate. Hey, Madison, how are you? Hey, Agnes, I'm doing well. And I wanted to mention to our listeners that we are all recording this episode from separate places because we're distancing. As you can imagine, COVID-19 has taken a psychological toll on each of us, and with everything that is happening with this crisis, we wanted to talk to someone about this shared experience.
1: Exactly. And the expert that we actually have with us here today to discuss some of these mental health implications of this public health crisis is Dr. Erin Berman. So Dr. Berman is a licensed clinical psychologist and researcher at the National Institute of Mental Health, otherwise known as NIMH, and she has specific expertise in stress and anxiety. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Berman. Ah, thank you both for having me. Of course. So let's take it back a few months. In March of this year, 2020, the World Health Organization declared COVID-19 a pandemic. And basically what that means is that it's an outbreak of illness that has spread over multiple uh, countries or continents. And in this case, it's had an entire global
2: impact. Because of this, life as we know it was turned completely upside down. And of course, when something like that happens, there are a host of mental health outcomes that come along with it.
1: Absolutely. And one element that we've noticed that has seemed to have a particularly negative impact on many is the social isolation that's being experienced during this time. With the implementation of the stay-at-home order, people have not been able to meet up with their loved ones. So I guess my question to you, Dr. Berman, is what are the mental health implications of such an event?
0: The mental health implications have been pretty uh immense and and widespread from individuals who had pre-existing depression or anxiety we do know that that has created an increase in their levels of anxiety and depression on top of their access to treatment so telehealth had to change and making sure individuals with those mental illnesses are getting access to their medication on a regular basis. We also know in general, the data has shown across um, you know the board that depression and anxiety has increased. And about half Americans report that this crisis is have impacting their mental health in some way, uh, whether they had a diagnosis initially or not. And then we do know between emergency hotlines, um, they have registered an increase um, since April in calls from people who have been reporting stress and anxiety, and also online services, um, texting apps or online therapy apps. Some of them have even inc- reported an increase in about 50 to 65% um, in individuals who are interested in participating in therapy. Those are
1: staggering statistics. And I've actually been trying to think of even small things that can be done to slightly assist in decreasing the negative emotions that people are experiencing. So for one, I know some people say that instead of calling it Mm. social distancing, we should rather use the term physical distancing. How do you feel about that sort of change up
0: in terminology or vocabulary? Uh, I, I definitely agree with that. Part of my work is research and the other half of my work is interventions. So I do cognitive behavioral therapy and we know how we talk about certain things. Uh, so if we're saying something like social distancing, individuals maybe feel a little bit more down that that's what they have to do versus a physical distancing. And maybe then that will open them up to be more creative of how they can still be social and interact with each other um, when we use that terminology. I think the way that you word things
1: can have such an impact. Just transitioning from that term of social to physical can subconsciously let the people Mm. know that you don't need to see social interaction just because of the physical restrictions that we have right now. Uh, These terms are by no means synonymous.
2: Dr. Berman, we know you have some specialization in child and adolescent anxiety. So how do you think children and teens are experiencing this time differently than adults? And what unique anxieties might they have?
0: And we'll have to kind of look at prior traumas. And we do know a lot of the generation back in 9-11, you know, obviously that was a trauma for a young group of kids, right, that we were able to see and follow, right? And that, you know, was such a marked Event that did increase stress and anxiety levels in kids. I think this will go back to it is a marked event. I mean, to not be able to touch your peers, to worry about germs uh, at the age of four, five, six, you know, and all the way up um, will impact individuals, I would think, in the long run. And, And it may in a way, trigger some new anxieties, you know, similar to 9-11 as that did, right? So obviously that is something that will impact many kids and also the lack of social skills and social interactions development. That's a whole other hypothesis that I'm sure other people could speak to, but I think it's important to note that's important in development. And if you're not seeing or touching or interacting with people, um, you know, those skills won't be cultivated as well.
2: Right, definitely. So what are some ways that we can best help our children and teens cope with this change and their anxious thinking? The classic ways are the best ways. Um,
0: structuring a day, creating a beginning and an end to whether summer, you know, the day, um, moments, because they, that lack of structure and time is really creates uncertainty in kids. So creating structure for them is ideal. Uh, It's hard to do for many of us, but that's ideal. The other thing is, you know, having good eating and sleeping cycles are fantastic. And the last one is having an open conversation for them, being able to ask questions of mom or dad or mom or dad or aunt or uncle don't know Then I think what is fantastic is there's a lot of resources that are out there. I know CNN did, you know, a Sesame Street special. Um, PBS does, you know, shows here and there about you know COVID and explaining it to children. So obviously, a little knowledge is important, but um, not total knowledge. So really helping them think logically. And that's the type of work that I focus on, which is cognitive behavioral therapy. And we're looking really at the thoughts that these kids have and the worries and helping them think in a more logical way versus emotional way. And it's going to be normal that they're going to be very emotional.
1: And especially given that they are some of our most vulnerable population, mm-hmm. it's important that we implement these tips for them. Mm-hmm. And in terms of this structure element that you mentioned, uh, not just helpful for them, but I think even I need to mm-hmm. utilize that uh, in my daily life so that I can adjust to this pandemic better.
0: Yeah, and it's hard uh, to do. No one, no everyone who's even really good at structure, are having a hard time implementing because it's such a new, different time for everyone.
1: And uh, transitioning from kids to adults now. So one thing we were curious about was how romantic relationships uh, have been impacted by this pandemic. So we have been hearing in news reports that there is dissolution of marriages or uh, people who are breaking up because they are spending so much time with each other inside the house. What do you think is happening with these couples?
0: Uh, Well, as we know, individuals, there's probably a number of different reasons why that would happen, but probably they fall into about three categories. So one would be individuals that actually have um, issues prior, whether it was anger management, other mental health issues, um, economic issues, you know, issues before will put stress on a marriage or any relationship, you know, any committed relationship. So that will impact it for sure. You know, so anything pre-existing is getting exacerbated. The other thing is lots of time alone (laughs) and with the same person, you know, can really amplify what are the problems that were already there and, and existing. So again, not that it pretty much is creating a whole new can of worms, but it's probably amplifying the things that were there a little bit before, Um, you know, having that time and not being able to cope correctly will also lead to, you know, fractures in marriages and relationships. And the last one I think I touched upon at the beginning is economic and familial responsibility. So with no school or loss of job that we know stressors do um, lead many times, or at least can be the catalyst to divorce
1: related. um, But from a different side of this, I saw a story in LA Times recently. And essentially, it was this individual talking about how his marriage has actually gotten better Hmm. uh, during the pandemic. And his relationship with his child has gotten better too, uh, because he was a part of a few year affair before this. And now he can't see the person who he was having an affair with. Uh, And so that has allowed his relationship with his wife and child to get better. And so we're just seeing that even in these romantic relationships, these family lives, like it can have different impacts for everyone.
0: I think that's, again, a brilliant comment and why I think we'll really have to look at the individual differences of people coming out of this. It's so true because some people are connecting much more with their children because they're not having to drive. They're not having those two hours of commute, you know, and then other people who, again, as we were talking, had maybe prior conflicts or prior issues or as we have seen in the media, and we do know the numbers, you know, when children are not at school and things like that, not as many people have eyes on kids. So, you know, they can also, some kids can also be falling through the cracks. But yes, many parents are connecting more with their children than they would be able to because of this virtual environment right now.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Transitioning into something that might be a little bit more of a heavy topic, so we have seen that the pandemic has uh, disproportionately been affecting minorities, Mm -hmm. specifically African Americans, and on top of COVID-19, in addition to COVID-19, this population is continually dealing with the murders of members of the Black community Mm -hmm. by either police or civilian brutality. What do you think is the impact of these compounded crises on this group?
0: I mean, it's like being traumatized and re-traumatized on top of it. So it, it's, yeah. it's really an immense issue that needs to be brought, you know, under the microscope in a way. The other end that we know is the reason that it's disproportionately affecting um, the African-American community is just access to health care and then, even more importantly, access to mental health care, which is even you know lower in that population, it's it's not as easy um, to find those providers. Um, so that that I think is important to realize, and, and you know that would be obviously from my perspective. I'm someone who you know treats these disorders. That really making sure that access is available um, mm-hmm. is an important part of this.
1: Yeah, there are so many structural issues at play here that need to be dealt with. I mean, this community is being impacted by not one, but two public health crises at once. And there are so many people that have been fighting for so many years for equality across these different domains so that these things don't happen, whether it is uh, pertaining to the lack of access in terms of the virus or police brutality. But we need to make sure we get our policymakers to listen, and we need those who have uh, biased against the African-American community to treat this group like human beings completely so there are actually some individuals who are not able to attend the funerals of their own family members due to travel restrictions and safety precautions there are healthcare workers who have had to put their own lives and the lives of their loved ones at risk by treating patients who have this virus There are people who have been strictly following the pandemic rules with social distancing and wearing masks. Yet there are others that you can find out and about not wearing PPE, which is uh, personal protective equipment, and not social distancing. Just living life as if it were any other time period where so many people are not being killed by a virus. How do those of us who have to see these people uh, deal with these feelings that we might have against them?
0: We want to be aware of feelings. Feelings obviously are emotions are the first signal of something that we need to do something right that we need to be aware of. So, you know, not to do not push them away, (laughs) do not make them, you know, uh, devalue them, but see is there one sit with them, be aware why you're feeling it that way. And as we were just speaking a few minutes ago about, you know, how the, um, Covid is is you know disproportionately affecting the African American community. That could be something. Inequality could be what's fueling more anger and upset. You know, so really look at what's the feeling, and then what is it something that we can do about? And if there's nothing we can do about, terribly important to talk to people that we're close to. Um, and if there's not someone we can talk to, the upside of this is we do have, um, you know, online resources. We have you know, support lines, text lines for, you know, individuals that don't want to call in, um, that can really help, you know, work with those feelings. And, you know, that's never a resource that should be ignored. They're out there and many of them are free. Um, And and I think that's one way to deal with this, those types of feelings.
1: So we definitely have to evoke empathy for the other side Mm -hmm. and understand um, why they may be reacting the way that they do. Mm -hmm. But is there also something we can do to help them understand that they are putting the lives of many individuals at danger uh, by not social distancing, by not wearing PPE?
0: Mm -hmm. So one of the best things that we can do, obviously, in terms of behavior change is modeling. So although it may feel like a losing battle, continuing to wear your mask Continuing to social distance appropriately for your community. Um, You know, that's the best thing we can do get more people that we know that are involved to make sure that they are always that feel the same way. Um, So that's very important that we model the way we want to see, uh, you know, things be.
1: I also feel like. So, it, some of the content you know uh, that we see out uh, in the media about how people are suffering given this pandemic, it really drives the point home, at least to me, of like why it's important for us to be following all of these rules at this time, and I was hoping that maybe these people could also uh, pay attention to this content if they're not already. And maybe that would change their minds as well.
0: Mm-hmm. I think that's a really good point. The more information that's out there and accessible, right? The, yeah. That's, that's, that's the key to making sure um, individuals who may be feeling the other end of it, that is not useful to wear these things or to have certain precautions. It might help sway their, their
2: judgment.
1: And if we are uh, facing feelings of anger or sadness at this time towards others, uh, especially when we see what they're posting on social media, do you think now is a good time to take a break from social media or do you think we need to stay awake and alert of everything uh, that's happening online?
0: We do need to be alert and awake and not ignore these um, comments or behaviors because that would not help the situation. On the other hand, limits right so having a limit of either how much time you spend on or a certain time when you shut it down you know for me um you know it's lucky i'm busy most of my day so i can't read the news or watch anything but at nine o'clock nine to nine thirty that's my time you know so i think it's important to identify what is that time and do limit it and limit also how much you're talking about it with other people for sure you want to talk a little bit but you everyone's going to get burned out if it's if it's excessive
1: Absolutely. And one thing that I've noticed throughout this experience is that uh, a lot of people have become desensitized to this concept of death. Mm -hmm. So I know before you were talking about everything with 9-11 and uh, around then it was it was around 3000 people who died within a day Mm -hmm. and uh, we mourned them for years. And now uh, we lose that amount of people in a day and it seems like no one's even batting an eyelash. Uh, What do you think about that, the approach that people now have towards uh, mortality?
0: Yes. I mean, it's obviously a change from that moment, you know, uh, from what we're seeing. Um, As you mentioned, though, there's plenty of individuals who are out there continuing to wear their masks and social distance because they understand and honor, in a way, these individuals that have passed. So, you know... I guess information is flowing even more quickly than it did back in 9-11. And so I think, you know, that obviously is impacting on how people take things like death, mortality, you know, And, and I think that's a, it's a bigger systemic thing to examine and make sure that we understand that maybe we do need to ground ourselves back again, even to less time Uh, focused on media and more time on what are the things that are important. You know, the one thing also that we know that's very helpful for individuals right now to help cope is looking at individuals values, you know? So if they value life, uh, you know, going back to that and figuring out how they can honor that.
2: So, okay. Switching gears a little bit right now. Mm -hmm. One thing I've noticed is that not everyone is necessarily suffering in the same way during this time, but some people are actually thriving under these conditions. Um, you know, I know some people who have been waiting their entire lives to be able to be excused from social interaction, and that's me on some days too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, what allows these individuals to um, to be able to cope much better during this time and sort of thrive under these conditions? Well, you know, I think,
0: one, we do know that individuals are resilient, so although this is a very traumatic time, um, most people will be able to deal with it, think about, cope with it, and move forward without many long-lasting issues. Um, so for sure there are just a good portion of the population that's resilient, but you're getting on to even, you know, smaller issue is that idea of there are many individuals who are, for lack of better words, you know, there's many technical terms, whether you're an introvert or a homebody, um, you know, or someone that prefers their alone time, however you want to kind of define it. Those individuals for sure are thriving to some extent. Um, and the fine line we have to walk is though. I have many individuals who are introverts and happy and still connecting with people when they need to. That's fine. Where it gets concerning in a way is the individuals too who have social anxiety and are introverts, right? And who this will make it very hard for them to re engage back into the world. So I think that's the one of the take home messages of this whole thing, you know, many people are thriving or at least adapting and finding, you know, some, you know, value in what's happening as much as you can.
2: Yeah, I think for better or for worse, we've had to adapt in our own ways. Um, and it's just really interesting talking to people I know around the world and seeing how it has impacted them. And yeah, it's completely on a scale from um, re- really people who are struggling a lot to people who are who say, you know, this could go on for the next year and I'd be fine. Um, mm-hmm. And I, it, it just is such on an individual level and has so much to do with what we've been through in our life and our personalities. Mm-hmm. And I just find it really mm-hmm. interesting.
0: Yeah. It's personalities, past history. And I think also just flexibility. Some individuals are just much more flexible than others, you know? hmm
2: Yeah. And there some individual situations are much more flexible too. Um, Very good point. Yeah. Where you live, um, who you live with, things like that. hmm
1: Yeah. Do
0: you think that there are any positive sides to this pandemic? Has any good come out of all of this? I think you know you guys have highlighted a few of them. You know, obviously the individual who was you know it has helped his marriage and his relationship <laughs> with his kids. You know, that's a great story, but I don't think he's probably alone. <laughs> Do you know, what I have to say, yeah. um, I think many people are figuring out creative ways to stay in contact with relatives that are farther away, or they're making much more of an effort. Do you know before they'd be like, oh, grandma, you know, of course we can call her whenever, but knowing that she's alone you know, and isolated. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think I've heard a lot more younger people, whether teens or young kids, really enjoying, since they're not having that social interaction, spending more time talking to grandparents, FaceTiming with grandparents, you know, so for sure, you know, and, and our world continues to evolve. So I don't think there's a, you know, we need to be innovative in how we connect with people. And that's why I think there's such a double edged sword to technology. You know, it's we use it for good. You know, let's think how it can benefit people. So I do think in terms of social connections, creativity, um, and in familial relationships, for some people, it really has become a positive thing. I've been able to reconnect with people that I haven't
1: talked to in a while because now I know it's possible to do so just by jumping on Zoom but um, one thing I do want to point out is still how we have to be careful in our language here I've heard some people say you know this pandemic is a blessing Mm. in disguise but Mm. um, for people saying that they have to acknowledge that they have some sort of privilege in the situation that allows them to still be able to thrive to some sense in this condition Mm -hmm. and And, you know, maybe we shouldn't just outwardly, you know, always use phrases like that because other people, this is not the same scenario for them. They are truly just suffering.
0: Correct. I think, and as we were mentioning earlier, even back to that concept of resources, right? Um, And what just what's available in front of you, you know, if you don't have that Wi-Fi, you know, if, if your family member has passed from COVID and you are unable to go to that funeral, You know, correct. I I think it's back to the individual and realizing that there are many important components that, you know, are creating how each one experiences uh, this pandemic.
1: And level of direct impact, as you're saying, really plays a role Mm -hmm. in all of this. Um, What do you think, uh, especially for the people who are more privileged during this time, what can we do to help others who are struggling?
0: Mm, I think that's a really, you know, very important part and something that should be, you know, put out there for individuals to think about. Um, So one, you know, would be um, having a podcast where you are talking or making information more available to people, Um, making sure donating to certain causes or individuals. You know, I, I think individual systems and places can be very helpful, you know, at this time. So I, those two simply can do it, but there's probably many more things also that are individualized to a community and what the community Mm -hmm. needs. So I do recommend individuals looking at what's close to them. Um, You know, I know there are schools nearby where I live, you know, where, where people need to donate food. Um, You know, so it's, it's just looking, I think in your community, luckily there's a lot of people out there that are asking, um, for donations and help and things like that. Um, and and so just being more aware, I think kind of the point you're making, uh, that this is not just a singular issue and not everyone is affected the same way.
1: Yeah. And I think if we have the means to do so, it's our responsibility Mm -hmm. to step up in any way that we can right now to help those that are having an especially difficult time.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think just everything going on in the world right now is asking us as people to, be the best that we can and better than we've been before to each other. Yeah, just giving of our whole selves to each other um, in ways that we haven't really been asked to do in the past, I feel like. Um, so I, I feel like day after day, I, I look at the news and I'm seeing a whole different side of humanity than I've ever seen before, in good ways and bad ways, but <laughs> lots of positive yeah, ways.
0: True. Yeah. What you're really highlighting is that awareness. Us, we all should have a little bit more awareness,
2: Mm -hmm. right? Definitely. That can help. That can go a long way. Mm -hmm. Dr. Berman, you've given us already so much advice and many tips uh, for our listeners, which have been wonderful. And I just wonder if you have any additional wise words for everyone as they're dealing with this social and emotional anxiety surrounding the pandemic.
0: Yeah, I think we highlighted um, all the major areas. Most important is if um, you know someone is an individual that feels alone, there are many resources out there, you know, and I think if they are just encouraged to look for those resources, whether it's a text line, whether it's a hot, a hotline to call for just to you know vent and talk about stress. And the other thing You know, many times when we feel, um, you know, low or sad or just kind of overwhelmed, it is important to give to others, you know, so seeing how we can help our community. uh, I think that is probably, you know, you did highlight that, but a really important way when people feel that they can't get out and they feel confined, that they can, you know, improve their situation and obviously someone else's.
1: Yeah. And I think there are are plenty of studies that show that giving Mm -hmm. to others and helping them has positive uh, psychological implications for yourself. Correct. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So thank you, Dr. Berman, for educating us about these mental health implications surrounding the COVID-19 pandemic. And thank you to the National Institute of Mental Health for being so open to communicating science with us. We appreciate it. You're welcome. Editing for this episode was done by me, Agnes Varghese. Logo design is by Miwa Shirai. Additional help came from Madison Sankovitz. This podcast is supported by Science for Citrus Health and the UC Riverside Graduate Student Association. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Bench, a production from SciComm at UCR. You can find us on Twitter at twitter.com slash UCR. Thanks again for listening.